Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Would you please welcome Columbia recording artist, Bob Dylan. Hello and welcome to Neverending Stories, a podcast about Bob Dylan and the Neverending Tour. I'm Ian. I'm Evan. And I'm Steve. And today, to talk about not the Neverending Tour, but an earlier tour, before the Neverending Tour started, Bob Dylan in 1980 in Toronto. We're thrilled to be joined by Benny Safdie. Benny, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Please. Pleasure is all ours. Any excuse to talk at length about Bob Dylan, I will take. So... (laughs) Uh, well, that's a great place to, to jump off. Just like, what is your, like, g- give it to us. What, what's your experience with Bob? When, okay. when did you get into him? What do you love? So, I I guess I got into him around in, like, in high school. You know, I really got into him then. And it was the, the kind of thing where I was like, all right. It was just when I was getting into him, and it was, like, kind of right around Love and Theft was coming out. It was right before Love and Theft came out. Hell, yeah. So, I remember when that happened, I was like, this is an insane album. It was just like, <laughs> it was awesome. Love and Theft is a great album. I'm oh, with yeah. you, brother. Totally. And then I was like, all right, and he's going on tour. So then I was like, I got to see him at every possible opportunity that I have. And it's funny because then I was like, oh, my God, he's old. We may not, I was, we may not be able to see him this often. So I was like, back then I was thinking, the fact that he's still going <laughs> 22 years later is insane. So I saw him at the Garden in 2001 and then i saw him again in 2002 oh, wow. i saw him at long i saw him in long island at like a folk festival it was like an acoustic set in like some some field i forget where it was and i saw him at the beacon theater i so anytime i could catch him i did and it's amazing because the the there's an amazing rendition anybody has never heard it bob never does encores that's what everybody tells me he'll never do it he'll do an encore but it's set right. once that's done He's never coming back out. So you could clap all you want. It's not going to happen. And so that's everybody holds out hope for that one time where maybe he will come out and do a surprise. And it was the day, though, that George Harrison died. Mm. And he was he was at Mar- he was at Madison Square Garden and he came out after the encore and he sang something. Wow. And I don't know if you've ever heard it. No. You ever heard this? I haven't. Something in the way she moved. It's possible now, no other lover. Something in the way she will take me. I don't want to leave her now. You know I believe now. 
beautiful renditions of the song ever wow. and you don't think of that song as like having bob's voice specifically also from like that period of time and it was just so beautiful and he mm. did it for his friend mm. and it's it was just awesome and it's amazing because when you watch this youtube video it's like a three camera setup <laughs> in madison square garden and they're cutting back and forth they're like wow they came prepared and it's awesome it is awesome and so so then on top of that, I was also part of this um, website. I believe it was eTree.org. Yes. And it was a, it was a CD <laughs> trading website. You know about this? Yeah, that, that's how – I did that in the early 2000s okay. too. This is so I've extremely met, Stephen Street. I've, I've never met anybody else who's been on this website. So this <laughs> oh, no. This is incredible. This is like okay. old school, like before you, know, you could there was just... no There was no Napster. There was no nothing. Right. So literally – the way I got started was they'd say, send me two blank CDs and postage oh and you God. could get, and it was, and it was, it was just like literally just um, a website where people listed the concerts they had. Wow. Cause I was, I'm also into the grateful dead. So part of it was, I was seeing all these, I saw the other ones. I saw all the stuff, rat dog, Phil Lesh and friends. It was, so I was seeing all this stuff and I wanted to find the concerts that I went to. So then I found out about this website through somebody, I guess, at one of the shows and everybody wanted to kind of have a camaraderie over it. So you would send your CDs and then you get, somebody would just kind of, every once in a while you'd get an extra stuff. Like, Hey, I got this, I got the Beatles Abbey road alternate <laughs> sessions. You want those? I'm like, totally. Of course. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? So now I had this and I could say to people, Hey, I got the Abbey road sessions. Send me the Bob Dylan concert from 2002 at MSG. And so I, I had, and I, I wish I still had it. I had this big binder of all the shows that I'd been to and all the new stuff that I'd gotten. But I had, that's how I got a lot of old Dylan um, uh, bootlegs. Oh my God. Like Outfidels and all that stuff. A tree without roots. Without oh, yes. Mask. That was Classic. My You're speaking our language, man. Yes. <laughs> I had no idea. That we would bring up E-Tree on the show. <laughs> I am so moved by this. You have no idea. Cause, yeah. Honestly, because that was like the way you got shows back then. It was like... It, it was, was unbelievable. Old, it was old school. It was more analog. You couldn't just download stuff. It was harder no. to find this stuff. And it was really like you literally, you would, you would have to go. You'd have to have an email conversation with this person. And then you'd have to like... It was a full thing. And it was... I just remember like running this thing outside of my room. This... I bought a CDR player. I was getting, I was like burning the CDs and doing all that. And it was, it was an amazing experience. Cause yeah, you'd meet people and you'd talk about stuff. You'd bond over it. And yeah, every once in a while they'd send you something that you had no desire for whatsoever. It was like, I'll throw in this government mule. I'm like, yeah, that's where I kind of stop. But, but not, they got great guitarists, all that. But um, it was just amazing to kind of get, it was how I got access to a lot of early Dylan stuff that I never would have gotten to had I not been a part of that community. And it's also just like people would, 
hey, you're into this, you got to hear this, you know? And um, yeah, so just to go back from there, I kind of moved away from like blowing in the wind and like that part of Dylan. Once, because I'm Mm -hmm. convinced, once you accept 80s Dylan or even like 70s Dylan, you're not going back. That's right. Because you re because you realize, yes, he's amazing, but that's not who he is. That's what I believe. Yes. Dylan, Dylan wasn't that guy. Mm-hmm. He was that guy to get ahead. You know, this is my theory, is that he played the part yep. of this folk troubadour mm. better than anybody, and he could fucking kill anybody on all that. You could curse, right? Um, oh, yeah. Okay, so, and so, essentially, and it's the peak of that is Don't Look Back, right, with him and Donovan, you know? Of course. Where he kind of just like, all right, I'll show you. Like this is this is like my royal flush when I play my song, you know. But so there is there is this element of like it's actually hard for me to go back and listen to earlier Dylan because I'm so into this kind of person he really kind of became. Um, I guess the closest I'll go to is uh, John Wesley Harding. We started our show, and it w- the, uh, the whole principle of no it was way. that we would start <laughs> with John Wesley Harding, and that yeah. was what, that's how Jokerman started. We were just like, we need to just start. That's there the real Bob Dylan. That's everything else is a prologue. It's like we wrote you a script to <laughs> say on the show yeah, because you're saying all the right things. I cannot believe it. <laughs> it's unbelievable, but it's true because John Wesley Harding is essentially the folk elements of Dylan, right? Mm-hmm. And then it had and then all this new stuff, this new voice that he had. And it's awesome, you know? Absolutely. Um and it's like him being the contrarian too, because yes. in sixty seven everyone's yes, psychedelic exactly. and he's like, yes. I'm gonna play with a two oh, totally. the section, it's just me acoustic <laughs> guitar stripped to the bone. Yes. It's like you liked it when I went electric. Fuck electric, I'm going back folk. I'm going back. When nobody would <laughs> it's like it's like wow, this guy is He's the greatest. With John Wesley Harding, John Wesley Harding is also interesting in that way because it has something in common with the subject of today's episode. I think that it's it's kind of there's biblical themes running all through it, and it it feels. um, I mean, apparently he was reading the Bible. Interesting. Into the pretty good book that makes total sense. I pity the poor immigrant. Pity the that's all. That's like basically Mm -hmm. could have been off of. one of those 80s records, for yeah. sure. So that is where we uh, bring up, I think, what we're focusing on today. And I wanted to ask you why, uh, in particular, that is something that you are into, is the, the Born Again era. Like, what is about that? Well, it's so there's there's two people who I could bond with this over. One of them is Michael Chaikin, who was like working at the Dylan Archives, setting that up. And then the other one is Luke Wilson, who... Um, is shout out to Luke. He's the greatest, but he is the biggest Dylan fan there is. And specifically, we were like we, we were talking about there was once because in the eighties it was it was interesting because Dylan kind of didn't he didn't find himself really right away in the eighties. You know, it's like some of there's good songs on certain records, but once he started getting religious, it's almost like he found this fire that he needed mm. to be to be the songwriter that he was, you know, like, and specifically like, yeah, like I believe in you and like all these things. I, I was, I was joking oh, yeah. with him. I was like, they're, they're religious, but they're not really religious. Right. And he was like, they're pretty religious, but I'm like, <laughs> but I don't know how to explain it because they're, 
it is. It's kind of like you you were saying, John Wesley Harding and all these kind of themes that he touched on early in his career. The Bible, and if you look, if you separate religion from it, which is hard because it's all about like Jesus and all this other stuff. But if you look at the core <laughs> ideas of religion, that's kind of the struggle that Dylan fights with. You know, man, like people fighting man fighting God and all this stuff and fighting the bigger person and, and trying to overcome and the, the little man being put down and all that stuff. He's using all of these allegories and all these things in religion. And he somehow had this full realization. Like, I think um, it, it really did light a fire under him. And there's like, there's like some real hard rock and roll. What's solid that? rock in particular on yeah, save is fucking oh heavy, heavy God. is heavy. Sometimes he's introduced it as solid rock, rock yes. made before. That's the, t- that's the right title. The What's world, that? Like I, I've sentence. been trying to find that yeah. concert on YouTube. That's the other thing is these YouTube concerts disappear all the time. So they're yeah. like, they're kind of like this E-Tree when you're on YouTube. And then they have names that don't even correspond to what they are. And there's that, that solid rock performance that he did in that, like with all the people hanging from the rafters, it's really small, but man, that performance of Solid Rock is epic. And yeah, the guitar, everything about it is just like, it's hard to believe that that's Christian rock, but it is. Yeah. You know? For me, like the Christian era was something that I uh, avoided for a long time as a Dylan fan because I had always yeah, been told that, that this was weird. And yeah. it really was like, there's a, like we're talking here uh, about the, uh, the box set version. It's a compilation of all the shows he played in Toronto in 1980. Yes. But there's one particular show. It's April 20th, 1980, mm-hmm. which I, I think I got in one of those each uh, tree things <laughs> where I listened to that. And it was like hearing the band and hearing those songs live, like really brought it to life. Oh, and it for made sure. Feel like, Oh wait, these records that I, I was told weren't any good or I should avoid uh, are actually really beautiful and have, yes. like you said, like some pretty hard rocking stuff. What I love about the Christian era, what I think is fascinating about it is that like, you know, we were talking about sixties Dylan and I I'm totally with you with that protest singer era. I think <laughs> Dylan's even said that like, I was doing this to get ahead. It was like, what was fashionable at the time I had to yeah. get a foothold. And people were always trying to pin Dylan down. Like, we want you to be a spokesman. We want you to explain mm-hmm. your songs. And he would never do it, except in the Christian era. It's like, mm-hmm. it's the most literal era of Dylan. It's like, oh, you want to know what I think? Yes. Okay, I, I think that Armageddon is coming and that you should follow Jesus. And then people <laughs> are like, no, I don't want to hear this. In the Bible, it has specific, uh, it, it tells you specific things in the book of Daniel and in the book, in the book of Revelation, which just might apply to these times here. And uh, it says there are certain wars that are, that are soon about going to happen. I can't say exactly when, you know, but say pretty soon anyway. And 
So, at that time, uh, you know, it's, it mentions a country to the furthermost north, and it has its symbol called the bear. Now that, and also, it also is spelled R-O-S-H in the Bible. Now this was written quite a few years ago. So it, it can't really but apply to one country that I know. I mean, if you know of another country, it can apply to, uh, maybe you do, I don't know. Yes. It's so verbose. Yeah, like there's, you sent that clip and I was just like, this is honestly yeah. fucking boring. And it was like the one time I've ever felt that about him talking about like... See, I love that stuff. I love the rants. I love the sermons because it's so weird. Yeah, and it's like, but then again, it's like you couldn't, I think he needed, he needed that because like, yes, he's being super literal with like when he's talking about it. But like you have songs, I was just looking it up, like, what can I do for you or every grain of sand, you know? And it's like you have all these songs that on the surface are extremely literal, but or like man gave name to all the animals. You know, it's just like <laughs> that's poetry. Just, that's <laughs> that's the greatest, you know? It's Absolutely. Like, he is he is going on these weird religious rants, but he's doing it as Bob Dylan. You know, so it's like so it takes on a yeah. whole other meaning. And again, somehow you look at religion as a story. And I think that's the key, is it's not it's not dogmatic in the way that you have somebody on a street corner saying, Jesus saves, do this. When he's saying, do you grab onto that solid rock and hold on? Cause like the apocalypse is coming. It, you attach so much other meaning to it because he can't help himself, but be connected to the collective consciousness. You know, it's like, that's, he can't help yeah. it. And so these songs take on another meaning and you actually look at religion and that's kind of in a weird way. He's probably the best spokesperson for the Bible that there is. Absolutely. Because he's he's highlighting the core problems that people face. And that's why people turn to religion is to understand the world around them. And he saw that and was able to kind of take it and make it into something that nobody else could. And then it's the best is then he's done with it. You know, Infidels comes. And what a great title for an album. <laughs> that, like, here you have this guy who was so into religion. And now he's like, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm going to become an infidel. And I'm going the opposite direction. <laughs> you know, it's it's insane. But I think that's a really a great point you just made about, like, him being the greatest spokesman because of story. Because, like, yes. when you hear him do it, like, you know how imaginative he is. So he's, like, yes. welding everything you know and all these vivid imaginative Pun intended with the welding, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> he's uh, he's welding a, a gate, if you will, of um, yes. <laughs> of, of these objects into. Uh, he's it's when you hear it from him as bland as like it can be, even when he's just saying like Jesus is coming, Jesus will save you. You're like, well, what could it mean? The Bob Dylan version of Jesus. What does that look like? Like, what is yes, that? What exactly. Is that for, what is that? Like, how? What is he yeah. imagining? It, it becomes like. It t- this idea, it's like almost like you're imagining Dylan writing the Bible. You know, it's kind of how it is. It's like you're just imagining him scrawling out this insane thing because there's certain there's certain songs where you're just like they go on, you know, and it's like especially when he's rambling and he's going on these things. That's why it was so exciting to hear the new song about Kennedy. I'm like, wow, he could do that again. Oh. Like he could go back and like do like his. It, it was almost like a, a Hattie Carroll. 
or it was, or it was like or Lenny a, Bruce, it's all right, Bob. for that matter. Yes, or Lenny Bruce, exactly. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it's get Lenny amazing. Bruce in there. Yeah, imagine <laughs> imagine murder most foul, but instead of about the assassination of JFK, it's about Lenny Bruce ODing. Well, yeah, he basically like, did. 17 minutes mean? on Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce is what, on one of the it. canonical Christian records. It is. You know? it's, yes, it's, it is. You're it's right. It's right in there. He's like talking about Lenny Bruce as some kind of like implying he's some sort of like prophet or uh, noted devout Christian of... man, Lenny Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> he's like What's Jesus. He? He's like an. Well that's, well, that's, I think that that is a good point because even in this period of when he's so dogmatic, he can't help but like let that in you know that kind of questioning and and of it because like part of i think part of one of the things that i love i think it's in precious angel Mm. there's one passage in it that i love and it's all about how people don't accept jesus but it's said with such kind of like how can you be what i I forget what it is exactly it's like gee like uh he talks about muslim he talks about what is it you know what I'm talking? There's like one section. Yeah, where it's he, the one where he talks about the, Buddha and Allah, but you yes, never mentioned yes, the one exactly. man who died a criminal's we, death. Yes, and but the way he says it, he's so angry and he's so filled with passion. He doesn't say Jesus. He says the man who died a criminal's death. That's right. And again, he can't help but he knows that he has to take it and make it into this thing that everybody can relate to. Because then again, why wouldn't you want to support this poor guy who died a criminal's death in the face of all these people? And when he puts the way he puts living life in Precious Angel. Makes you feel like the worst person in the world. Oh, yeah. You're like, well, like I'm not. <laughs> like, when I hear that song, on some level, too, I also feel like Dylan's talking about himself. I think yes. there's some sort. Because yes. there is something about this era. Because, you know, whenever we talk about Dylan being confrontational with his audience, you naturally mm-hmm. talk about going electric, the Hawks tour. Whereas, like, this Christian era, I think, is even more confrontational. Yes. Because it's Beyond. like. Totally. It's almost. He's like not only you know writing about Jesus, but he's rejecting his own past. He's like, I'm not even gonna, I'm not gonna give you like a Rolling Stone or mm-hmm. All on the Watchtower. It's <laughs> only about these songs. The thing I always forget is that Slow Train Coming was like a pretty big hit, and like uh, uh, yeah, like, uh, Gonna Serve Somebody was like a top forty hit. It was like the yes. first top forty hit since uh, uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door. So, like, the album itself was commercial, and yes. then he does this tour that's kind of confrontational, and then I feel like Saved is the album where, you know, you got the hand on the cover of God reaching down. The stigmata. Yeah. I think it's Jesus, because there's blood dripping down his, his it's hand. Pretty, I love it. It's pretty literal. It's pretty, it's pretty I, in your face. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to guess that it might be, it could be Jesus. <laughs> It's like it feels like that's the album that like people were like, "What the fuck is this?" Like, yes, you know, because well, he, he, yeah, he yeah. could have Soul Train coming. He could have done a gospel record, but played his old songs, and I think people would have gone, "Oh, that's cool." But now they're like, "Oh, wow, this guy's gone insane." 
and, was saved. and I think I'm looking at this concert from uh, the compilation of it. He like doesn't play any of the That's old it. Songs. It's all the Christian he plays shit. None. Which yeah. from his point of view as an like specifically in the 80s and you're just like wow, this guy's going hard on what he believes in. And that's what you would want an artist to do, right? It, totally. It's like I can but at the same time you're right. It's probably more confrontational than taking an electric guitar and doing that because oh, totally. nobody asked for this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nobody asked for it. And he's like, I know you didn't ask for it, but I know you need it. It, it almost feels like he's rejecting his own past, yeah. which is yes. like also the past of his audience. Like the yes. his audience who grew up with him, they're like, oh, wait, all this stuff you told us in the 60s? Because there's this one concert uh, that he played. It's kind of a famous bootleg it's in Tucson, 1979. It's like early in the gospel tour. It's called Pressing like, Tucson. And, Pressing Tucson. I don't know this. I'm just made it, it, It's November 26th. Oh, okay. <laughs> that would We're, be a great name. <laughs> it's like a famous show. It's, it, it's a show like where the audience is hostile and they're booing him between every song. And like there's people in the audience going rock and roll. And like I puke on the gospel and stuff like that. You can rock and, and roll yourself down to the pit. Is it that one? Yeah, like he's talking. He's like, if you want rock and roll, listen to Kiss. Listen to rock Kiss. And roll. Oh wow, I love it. And um, it's a riveting performance. I mean, the performance is amazing. But like that show in particular really makes you draw a parallel to '66 because yes, it is the same thing. And uh, it it just shows the hostility though that people had, and I think it was because people probably felt like. Dylan is almost canceling out what we thought he was, which is what great artists do. That he was restarting, yeah. but it was hard for people, I think, well, to let go of this guy of what they knew of him. And I think, I think, what people don't realize is if he didn't, he needed something. Like he was saved by He's just religion. divorced. Uh, like that, yeah, that is the context of right before. I mean, oh he, yes, yeah. So I th- well, that's kind well, of from Sarah from yeah. Sarah, which is yeah, the he got divorced. The songs yeah. ever. He got divorced and like he was you know thirty seven, which was like old for a rock star in you know nineteen seventy eight. Because there's this origin story of him. Uh, he's on tour in seventy eight. It's like the street legal tour. And it's toward the end of the tour. He's in this hotel room in Tucson. Street legal. Oh, what a great. And, when, doesn't, yeah. Doesn't absolutely. get any better. We love, <laughs> we love street legal. But like he was uh, in pain. Also, like Ronaldo and Clara came out in 78. And he, yeah. you know, that was a huge failure. By the way, like, because I have a, I have a grainy bootleg copy of Ronaldo and Clara. Like, I've never since, seen it. I've it's, never seen really? it. You don't, you're not missing much. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't feel like I've seen it either because it looks and sounds so terrible. I mean, I, yeah. I, I hope that the Scorsese movie didn't supplant Ronaldo and Clara ever coming out because there is footage uh, from yeah, that that was ton, used yeah, yeah. I, I would love to see like a, a restored Ronaldo and Clara because I there's there's great scenes in it, but like mm-hmm. the movie itself is really it's like a four hour. It's movie. a tough hand. Yeah, yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little difficult. But but like someone threw a crucifix at Dylan on stage. He was performing the night before in San Diego, and he picked it up and he put it in his pocket. And now he's in Tucson, and he's having this like you know mental breakdown. And he calls out for help. He pulls out the crucifix in his pocket, and like he talks about how. God basically walked in the room. He said he felt a physical wow. presence in the room. Which, by the way, okay, look, 
I don't want to be annoying. You probably have people do this to you all the time, pitch movie ideas. Yeah. But, you know, there's a Dylan biopic coming out. I think James Mangold's doing it. Timothy Chalamet's in it. Mm-hmm. It's like the 60s Dylan. Yeah. And I'm sure that movie will be good, or I hope it will be good. But, like, someone needs to do a biopic about, like, this era of Dylan. Oh. Because it's, it's so it's, dramatic. Yes. No, it's it's the most cinematic of his, of his like, work you know totally. because because again it is it's it's telling like the greatest story there ever was you know and it's funny you said that i was actually going to bring up another movie about the presence of god because i'm not a religious person you know i'm i guess I'll, I'll say i'm agnostic in the sense that like if i die and god's there i'm not gonna deny him i'll be like <laughs> you know what there you are you won this so, one it turned, you it turned that. out you're there all, all along yeah exactly it's like, I didn't deny, hey, I never said you didn't exist. I wasn't an atheist, so let me inside. That's, that's how I feel. But there was one movie. It's a Brisson movie. And it's it's not the first Brisson movie, but it is the first Brisson movie. It's a Diary of a Country Priest. Yes. And there's one moment in it where this guy is just like eating, drinking wine, eating bread. He's dying the whole time. And there's a moment in it when he has to like bless something. And... I've never seen religion caught on camera Hmm. and the belief in a higher power caught on camera ever, except in this movie, because as he's dying and he has to like raise his hand up to do the cross, it cuts to this close up where the hand just goes up and does it. And you feel, you actually do feel God in that moment when you're watching it because the person believes in God Hmm. so much. And that is like this music is he clearly believes in God totally so much that he's moved to create this work. And you hear it when he's the way you also look at like Dylan in the form of how his voice sounds. You know, that's clearly how you can define the genres and the eras of his music. It's so aggressive in this time. It didn't have to sound like that. He was he was sounding another way, like not that far ago. He goes in and he goes full nasal. And he's screaming, and you're just like, "Wow, this is aggressive." And but this guy really believes what he's saying, and that's why, particularly in Precious Angel, it's this kind of happy song. You know, it's like bopping around. But he gets to that point where he really feels angry that people aren't accepting what he feels, and it's awesome. You know, yeah. it's, it's a brutal. It's, it's a brutal song. Men will beg God yes, to kill, kill them, them, and yes. they won't be able to yes. die. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got that like starts and sounds like the dead in like 1990 yes. or something which well, sounds like Picasso moon or something at the beginning yes and, and then you bring uh, like I, the other thing is I love like this I love the dead when they get disco you know like shakedown oh. I love like shakedown street fire on the mountain they have all this kind of like it's a little bit like more polished and fun in a lot of ways but it's still dealing with all the stuff that they normally deal with but that's kind of like that song, and then just to to jump around a little bit, there's the the what is don't what which I'm I'm, I'm like losing which one is don't fall apart on me tonight. That's that's Infidels. that closing. No, that's us. Yes, but that album, the album itself, I actually don't like. What I do like is I like all of the outtakes. That's why mm. I love Alphadels. But that's because I don't believe Mark Knopfler was given the full control to create the perfect album Mm. because Dylan and Knopfler 
on the alternate verse. There's two versions of Don't Fall Apart on Me Tonight that are out of control. There's one that's like a piano ballad that's on the bootleg series. You know that version? Yeah. Where it's yeah. kind of like seven or eight minutes long. Yeah. It's, it's just like a stretched. weird Billy. It's like a Billy Joel version of that song. It's <laughs> awesome. And then there's the other one, which is the video online, where it's just like him. And who is he? Who's the who? Who are all the sessions? Sly, Sly and Robbie are yes. hanging with him there. Yes. Yeah. And it's just so like reggae, and it's awesome. So good. And it's super. But the sound of it is Nafla. You have that. And I'm just like, oh, Infidels, the record doesn't capture that. Right. But all of the outtakes do. And I think it's weird because Dylan specifically also, I think these, that's why these live records are so exciting during this period is because I don't think he quite knew how to record these songs in a studio setting, you know? Totally. Well, I was going to say, like, do you know the story about like how he asked Frank Zappa to produce Infidels? No, no like, way. It, which just speaks to his confusion, I think. That he I was wish that would have happened just so Evan would have to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been Frank Zappa every so song would have been like ten minutes long and had bleep bloop, you know. Frank Zappa's <laughs> Joker Man. Imagine <laughs> that. I mean, I like. I, I mean, I, no, then it would I like, actually be Infidels. It would actually be sacrilege. Like that would truly be. <laughs> I want to I want to go go back to something Benny was saying before about the aggression of this period, which I I think is totally true. But there's also a flip side, which I have to say for me is what I respond to the most, which is the tenderness of mm. this period yes. when he's when he's mm-hmm. doing like, like like talking about this Toronto 1980 compilation on the box set. The the highlight for me, the number one highlight, and this is true of the bootlegs too. I think of every bootleg I've heard of this tour is when he does when he returns. The iron hand It ain't no match For the iron ride The strongest wall Will crumble and fall To a mighty God Father who have eyes and all those who have ears it is only he who can reduce me to tears don't you cry and don't you die and don't you burn Like a thief in the night He will play wrong with right Oh, I was just listening to that Him on oh. the piano It's like, I feel like when he sings on like Songs like that or What Can I Do For You Or Covenant mm-hmm. Woman It's some of the greatest Dylan singing of all time They're ballads, they're ballads He's a man in it's love so pure. with God yes. He's like yeah. fully yes. en- enraptured in love And every yes. emotion that can be As high as it can go uh, Is is there But it's it's framed in this other way And, and part of that anger I think is directed At this version of himself That he knows didn't uh, Was wasting his energy or something Like mm-hmm. The energy is here. Like something happened, even if you don't believe, something yeah. must, is driving this. And he says it's God. So yeah, and he's angry at the audience for not accepting it, you right. know, and not like understanding why he's doing it. Because to him, it's crystal clear. But mm-hmm. I love, I love that you bring up when he returns because I love that song. 
There's oh, when man. he returns. There's something about again. It goes back to this movie that I was. I love this movie, Diary of a Country Priest. There's this idea of somebody speaking about God or saying something about God, and they believe in Him so much. I believe in you. That's literally the name of the song. <laughs> yeah, the name of the song. And when I listen to that song, I'm listening to it from the point of view of somebody listening to somebody who really believes in God. And what does that do? And how does that sound? And it's it's fascinating. Because I believe in you as a ballad, it's a love song, like you were saying, to God, and it's literally him crooning, "I believe in you," and it's so awesome. I believe in you when winter turns into summer. I believe in you if Hawaii turns to black. I believe in you even though I'll be outnumbered. But yeah, it's just this this idea that that you're you're at one with somebody so comfortable with God and religion that it's it's beautiful to hear what that does. And I think the the reason why it's okay is it doesn't it's not even though it is it's not it's not not like um, who's the guy who is the he's got like the the big place down in North Carolina Pat Roberts is it Pat Roberts it's not like a guy like that mm. up on the screen like taking everybody's money and trying like using God in that way it doesn't feel like that it feels very genuine sure. and I think that's part of it is that. And, and but that's kind of what, what what you were saying before is that when you heard oh it's his religious period I was like I don't want to go near near that in any way shape or form because it's going to be horrific I don't want to hear Bob Dylan like beholden to anything you know hmm. but it turns out that I do need to hear him <laughs> beholden to something because it brought out such creativity and it's weird because like once you really get into this kind of stuff it is hard to go back and. It's a shame because there's some great songs in there. And I guess maybe there's a couple that I'll go back to, but I can't, I can't like there's when the bootleg series came out about the early sixties, I forget which one it was, but the 62 era. It was like the Whitmark demo. And it's like, and and of course, look, I got into a lot of folk music. I got like, because of Dylan, like I was into, I started listening to the Pete Seeger and, and, and Woody Guthrie and, and lead, lead belly. And they're all great. But those are the people that he was trying to kind of copy, you know, or Ramblin' Jack Elliott, who is pretty similar to actually Dylan in a lot of ways. You had this guy who was pretending to be a cowboy who had no business being a cowboy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, so I, I, I was into all that stuff, too. And I, it's funny because my Dylan growth is pretty chronological, you know, in the same way that he is. Like, when, when he moves on to a new era... He doesn't look back and everybody gets so upset when you go and see him now specifically that all these songs are so butchered and so different, but I'm like, Hey, the guy's just trying to make it how he feels now. Mm-hmm. So when you hear him playing a hard rain's going to fall in, in 2001, you, you don't even know what song he's singing until he gets to the chorus. Mm. And that to me is exciting. You know, I love it when he like in this time when he's like, you know what, I'm going to go back to one of those, 
protest songs. And you're just like, wow, that's not how I imagined it was going to be. And it's awesome. He just never wants to be pinned. He never wants to be pinned down. And I love that about him. You know, he feels changed by things and which is crazy. Yes. Yes. You're watching him be changed by something. Yes. He, you're watching him be saved. Yes. There is a generational thing here too, because I, I t- when you talked about the Whitmark uh, demos bootleg series, which uh, I don't want to knock that. I haven't listened to it much either for reasons that, uh, yeah. for that you said. <laughs> I, think, I, I think there is an element, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying before about the the Timothy Chalamet Dylan movie. Is that sixties Dylan is obviously great, but like there is a sense of like it's been so covered in documentaries and in books and it feels like the boomers have fully claimed that version of Dylan. Yes. But then there are these other eras that were left for dead by his mm-hmm. original audience that we can, as younger listeners can go back yes. to and say, Hey, wait a second. Cause again, I would read in Dylan books that like saved is like a one star album. Like he, <laughs> yeah. this is a garbage record. And then I put it on and I'm like, this is so raw. It's like live in the studio. And these songs are great, and I feel like this, it feels like it belongs more to me because it yes. hasn't been fully Interesting. sort of taken yes. over by the, you know, like older people telling me like what to think about it. The Dylan it. Like, Industrial I, Complex. Yes, yeah. and I think that that's a great point because it's not co-opted into any era. You know, it's like when I see people at these concerts and, excuse me, I was one of them. You know, where it's like, oh, I want to hear the hits. You know, I want to hear Blowing in the Wind. And it's, in, in a way, you want to hear it because you want to go back and relive like a Christopher Guest kind of version <laughs> of that, you know? And it's weird. But these albums have been so untouched and unloved that they're there to be explored as a listener. And you're right. You can experience Dylan in a way that people who say they love Dylan won't even go there, you know? And it's, I think it's really amazing to me that like now, and it's directed by him in a lot of ways. He's like, you know what? I didn't get a fair shake when this stuff came out. I'm going to force it down people's throats and I'm going to make sure they know that this is there because even the, the seventies, the, the white face, you know, the, the, the thunder kind of uh, the rolling thunder tour is, is a period that also like some of those like versions of his original songs. And I guess that's the thing is Scorsese's into it too, because he would go back. And if you watch, what is it? The, uh, the New York stories where he plays the before the flood, mm. which is some of the best. Those are some of the best versions of those songs. To me, those, those are the only versions I can listen to of that. And there is actually, I will say the live 65 show is also really good because oh, yeah. it's so that acoustic version of those songs, they're so weird, you know, like just like a woman, but that version yeah. is unbelievable. But it's not like the version that you heard when it was when it first came out. It's like this new, he's on the verge of basically saying like, I'm going to change these songs. They're, those acoustic songs are essentially electric in my view. Because yeah, they're they, so they different. do feel that way. Like, uh, yeah, like visions of Joanna was always oh felt to me. God. Like, it's like you know when you listen to the Velvet Desolation Underground Row. and you listen back to it and you realize like, well, there's not a drum kit on this. There's like a yes. tambourine, but it yes. doesn't feel like it. It feels no. like there's uh, that song feels like a whole 
uh, full yes. band. Like exactly, like Desolate, yeah, Desolation Row and Visions of Johanna. Off that record, you're just like, this is intense. And it's not protest intense. It's like, oh, I'm. It almost sounds like you're reading the Bible when you hear those. So you read the <laughs> lyrics of those songs. You're just like, oh my god. And I love that. That's just like how honest the guy is. There's that one. Who was it? It was 60 Minutes. That interview that Dylan gave, where he's just like, they go, "How'd you write that?" He goes, "I don't know." Yeah. You ever think you're going to be able to do that again? He's like, "Nope." I can do other things. <laughs> he's too. just. He. I can do other things. He but says it so sad. He's like, I, "But I can't yeah. do that." It's yeah. very. It's kind of gr- grim and weird. It's grim, but it's at least he's he's acknowledging that it's real. Yeah, it's real. It's real. It's real. It's something about these though, like you were just talking about the intensity or the the aggression, and like it seems like he knew some of his earlier stuff like he didn't have to play those songs with a full band because they you know any of that like really early powerful material it just sings on its own with uh, a guitar yeah but there's something interesting about how aggressive and how fucking intense these are where it's like he's like this message deserves to be just blasted as loud as yeah. it can like i'm gonna go louder and harder than i ever have for the sake of transmitting this message uh, yeah. i'm gonna get keltner to just be like fucking shredding the it whole sounds time like a on robot the on the drum kit just like this this just came to me and i don't mean to say this to say that he was insincere at this time because i think he was totally sincere in being born again and believing in god but do you think that the artist in him the the contrarian in him felt like i want to push buttons with these songs like do you think he was self-aware in the sense that he knew this would anger people and there was something exciting about that to well, him as an artist it, it's i think it's possible but i think that what makes this so powerful is that he does believe it and that's why i think i think in this period and then at the same time when he's done with it he moves on sure he's like i got my religion it brought me to where I want to be, and now I'm done with it. And I think that that sincerity actually is what makes it so great. Because if he was, I, I think if he if there was an element of insincerity here, it wouldn't be as good as it is. You know, yeah, like Cause, not insincerity. I because I, again, I think he was sincere. But I, but do you do you think that he was? But like, do you think he was surprised? Because I, I feel like Bob Dylan must have, on some level, known. Because he could have been born again and in his private life and not written about it. Yes, but, that's but he true. Chose, he chose, and, and he, or he could have played his gospel songs, but also sprinkled in some hits. Mm-hmm. You know, like, but he, you, but he as chose, you said, those hits are actual hits. Got to serve yeah. somebody. One of the yeah, greatest. but like, but he didn't play. You know, like in terms of like, he could have sprinkled in the old hits. Yes, I think like, he's like, like, a like a Rolling Stone and Blowing yes. the Wind in the times. But like, yes, you're right. He, he consciously, because in you know, like I at the end, about times they are changing and forever. Like at the end yeah. of the gospel era, like in '81, like "Shot of Love," he did start playing some of his old yes. songs again. But like at the beginning, he did consciously choose like the hardest right. path. Well, I think yeah, I just, it's a know. competitive thing. Like in a way, like if you're feeling low or unsure of one, uh, if he was feeling unsure of his path at that point, like right after Street Legal, and he's divorced and maybe feels it creatively um, at a dead end, then I think that maybe what he did here, the, the kind of animosity that you're talking about, that like in that relishing of pushing buttons, 
might have something to do with this feeling of like, well, whatever the fuck is going on, like I don't want to have to keep up with mm-hmm. whatever the moment is. I, I want to mm. hold on to something. I want to have something central to the music that I know doesn't go out of style that like I I'm not going to be worrying about that. I just want to I think, push forward. Yeah. And I think that maybe it's less of, it's not insincerity, but I do think that it's like, I want to be accepted on these grounds alone. Mm. I don't want you to say, Oh, I don't like the gospel music, but I like some of the other stuff. Right. I want you to only listen to the stuff I'm making right this second and say, and I'm not going to give you, I think you're right. It's a competitive thing that it's like, I feel I've found a a new, a new desire to push me forward. And I'm not going to rely on anything I've done before. I'm going to take this and I'm going to go with it. Fuck everybody else, you know? And that's what he does. In slow train, he says, sometimes I feel so low down and disgusted. Can't help but wonder what's happening to my companions. There's this thing of, of just, yeah, feeling awful feeling bad about himself feeling bad about the way the pettiness and the the shit that he's literally talking about in like it's all right ma like it's easy enough to yes without looking too far to know that nothing's really sacred like it's the same shit it's just that now he's like well what what was that about maybe i can maybe there's it i was right then wasn't i no yes <laughs> like, and then there, one wait quickly just on that note there's there is there's one song that I, I I wasn't such a big fan of Modern Times, the album, but I did. Sorry, my cat wants to get in here. I do <laughs> love. Uh, there was one song that I love, just like literally as much as anything else, and that's Spirit on the Water. Oh, and in, oh, and classic. One of the best. It's Beautiful. like literally that's like top top level. But there's one part of it that I always felt was so beautiful, and again, so honest. And he says, um, where is it? He says, um, he basically is admitting that he's old, right? I think it's, where does he say that? And I'm looking at the lyrics right now. Um, oh, yeah. Like very, a, very, past my at prime. the very, end of, at the very mm-hmm. end of the song, you think I'm over the hill. You think I'm past my prime. Let me see what you got. We can have a whooping good time. <laughs> and he's literally just like, hey, I might be done. I might be over the hill, but I'm gonna have a good time. I'm gonna. This is this is what I want to do, and essentially that's what he's doing with this stuff. This 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 record and these performances is him just saying, "Look, I'm gonna be who I want to be," and you could think whatever you want about me, and you could think of whatever I should be doing, but I'm just gonna do what I makes me happy, and I think that's kind of what makes him one of the greatest artists ever. Is that he never betrayed himself. And he never betrayed what he felt he thought people should hear. Mm. And I think that maybe the one time he did was Dylan and the Dead. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and so that one didn't work kinda, out quite as well as, did, as the earlier But shit. I think that's it. It's so reviled, I, though, that you could almost like turn yes, it into like another yes, provocation. I mean, can. I think. But I like, think like, that he my, did. It was a mashup. He, that was the right. one time where you, it really, really reeks of. The commercialism, like these two people right. should be together, so let's put them together. He I don't know. I, so well. I, I think Although, he has a spiritual connection to the dead, but it just he does. It doesn't work. It didn't work. I mean, there's like amazing. Work. I think the shows from that tour are better, exactly, than the actual yeah, record yes. that exists. Yes. I, you know, I, I think uh, with Dylan, 
you know, along with loving Jesus, I think he also related to Jesus. And yes. I think that there's a messianic. <laughs> I see I a little bit of myself in that guy. I really do. I think <laughs> we're both I, Jews. Or at least. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think at least in terms of like and his artistic side. Mistake for saying what we believe. <laughs> That's right. I, yeah. I, no, honestly, I think that he had like a, you know, I think there's a messianic aspect to his artistry where he puts himself on the line. He puts himself again, going back to that song, I believe in you. It's a love song to God, but there's also in that song, he's like, I believe in you even through the tears and the laughter, even though we've been apart, even though like there is an aspect of that song where he's like, well, I'm suffering because I believe in you. So there is like an aspect where he's also putting himself on the cross along with Jesus. I, I think that there is an aspect of Dylan where, he gets excited by this idea. I'm going to put myself on the line and maybe get killed for this, but mm-hmm. I believe in it and it's important yeah. and it's worth it. And that is like a Messiah complex in a way that like a lot of artists don't have. It's why we love Bob Dylan. His, yeah. He's the most courageous artist in rock history by far. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think in some ways he's kind of like felt like Jesus was his like soul brother. I, but, in a way. but that, the, but that, but that's it. That it's so. What you're feeling isn't a kind of insincerity to say to the audience. You don't. Want, it's not because I don't think it's ironic. You know, no, I don't not think at all. Not at I all. I don't think he's. I don't think he's saying, "Oh, I'm going to play this music because you don't want to hear it." He's saying, "I'm going to play this music whether you want to hear it or not." Like I know right. you're and that's not gonna, kind of. Yeah, I think he's self-aware. That's the punk aspect of him. Yeah, there's a totally. punk element to him totally. that is just so. It's true in the sense that like. He's like a real punk artist, mm-hmm. and he's not like just putting on leather and spikes. You know, he actually is truly that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. My point is, that I think he's self-aware. I think he knows that yes. it's going to upset people, and he believes in because, like, a lot of people would be like, "I believe in this, but I don't need. I can bury this part of myself. I, I don't want to upset people." Like he knows. Like I don't think he oh, came out playing Christian yes. songs and thought people are going to love this. I'm I sure think he's. Yeah, he's He's charged up by it, clearly, and I think it's a definite reaction yes. to where he had been on the Street Legal Tour, on the Budokan Tour, which was this mm-hmm. fucking, in, again, we love it there, but it was critically reviled, it was <laughs> enormous, it, it took forever, I love it. and there's all these whacked out, you know, Vegas show tune versions of all these classics, and everyone just fucking hit, and, like, you just gotta imagine, the guy, like, he was playing huge venues, like the Forum in Los Angeles for <laughs> multiple nights, you just gotta imagine there's a, there's a fucking, like, uh, you know, glass, bulletproof yes. uh, um, uh, wall between him and the audience and and it's just like there's no connection there and on these 80 79 tours he's in smaller theaters in the middle of cities and there's a real fucking like they might fucking hate him and be throwing tomatoes and soup cans at him but there's a real charge there but it's like he started the gospel tour with like a 12 show stand in san francisco that's right the warfield right down the street from me it's like he's going into the belly of the beast right there by playing a bunch of christian songs you know you're right i love i love that about him I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go out on a limb. You guys don't have to go along with this because this is this is my belief. I'm gonna make a connection here between Dylan and McCartney and Wings because when you look at Wings and you look at those early early point in his in that time, he did a similar thing where he's like, you know what? This is the music I want to make, and right. I'm not gonna play anything that you want me to play. And he played small shows he literally went back to being a rock and roll guy trying and touring and they were in a van and he wouldn't play any Beatles songs and he played his songs and I love Wings 
And it's, I was actually realizing recently that I probably listen to more solo Beatles than I listen to, to Beatles now, mm. which is funny because like I'll have on all things must pass. I'll have on all these McCartney records. I love McCartney. And then I listen to like these crazy uh, Lennon songs. Where it's like, what was the one I was just listening to? It's like something, um, something free. I don't know which one it is. It's, um, uh, it's, it was just like I had never heard of. It's like um, is that Wells and Bridges? Um, no, what is it? It's um, I'll find it right here. But it's just just this idea. Um, I do see that it isn't as, of course, Wings records by nature are not as aggressive and they're very smooth and beautiful. But I do see this idea of an artist really going on a limb, and people hate Wings to this day. They're just like that shit is boring and played out but like well, that, that early wing stuff though was super primitive like like wildlife which is, yes wildlife it, is a great song you're, it's you're like on they, my frequency a little bit yeah so yeah it's like yeah like those early mccartney records I'm, like, i'm all like about the, another day though and let them in i love it those are great but like that yeah like those <laughs> like that bowl of cherries record just sounds like demos yes. for Beatles records and yes it, it does feel like mccartney was like okay i'm I'm not going to try to make Abbey Road. I'm going to actually go in the opposite direction and make something kind of primitive yes. and homemade. Yes. So there, and and it and it is interesting because, like, yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't. I only I only made the connection because it is it is an artist kind of going out on a limb and just doing kind of what they want, irrespective totally. of what they have. Um, I'm trying to find that one um, Lennon song because it's it's interesting because there is there is a is connection because all these all these people are just artists and they'll do is that what free the want. people is that free yes the people, free the people yes free the yeah. people i love free that the people song. free the, i've yeah, never that's, heard this that's song. completely that's on, over my uh, head that's on Wilson like, Brit- no it's on mind yes games. yes mind it's games. frida it's I, I think it's frida people or something like that oh, free like, to, yeah right or, or something <laughs> like that i don't know it's it, but it is it's free the song. people it's it's a great song um, free the I'm just, free I'm, the I'm, people I'm, now. Yeah, wow. it's called bring on. Yeah. Sounds great. Called, <laughs> bring on, bring on the loose. Great song. Free, free the people, but it's spelled F R E D A P E E P L E. Lennon's another guy who just literally just was like, you know what? I'm going crazy. Yeah, fuck some it. of those plastic on. Those other plastic on is so awesome, you know, but. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these guys already achieved their dreams, like as yes. they first conceived of them when they were twenty-four. Basically, yeah, they were yes. playing, like, playing with house money from nineteen seventy yeah. on. Got to come well, up and with they some had new no roadmap. <laughs> like, and they had no again, roadmap too for like how exactly. you get older, yeah, right? And that's know? the thing. That's, that's our, our ethos, really, with the show. Is like the, these were the they still are. They're st- he's still around. Like he's still yes. deciding for the first time when an eighty plus year old rock star means <laughs> that's right that's like that's the first time that's happened and he's writing that book true. and like well, and they I, were I, all writing that book uh, in their time for the first time like what you do yeah, when you're like this age in that love, love and love and theft he could have that could have been his last record and then he does murder most foul and you're just like or he does what's the one about florida key west key west which is <laughs> these are like these are great songs monumental you know? And he's doing it like you're saying. There's no roadmap for where they where he's going. And any of these artists, like I think that you can look at somebody like, let's take Kiss for example, just because we mentioned them earlier. That's a group that's just playing the hits, you know. Sure. And they're going to keep going. They're going. They're, they're they've created an event that they want everybody to be a part of. But you look at somebody like, I guess McCartney has kind of done that now. You know, mm-hmm. when you go to his shows, you're just going for the hits. But 
Beck during that period of wings or John Lennon or even Harrison. These are people like, all right, you know what? And Dylan specifically, he was the greatest there is that he, they're just going and doing what they want to do because nobody knew there wasn't a playbook for, okay, you have all these hits. Let's do a, let's do a concert tour where you play this amount and you do this. And it's like, everybody was just free for all. And it's also like, they were running away so hard from what made them famous, which is a crazy mindset to even think about. Who in their right minds would do that nowadays? It seems like Dylan was running as fast as he could toward whatever would keep him going here. Like pressing on is like, like it doesn't matter what other people think for Dylan here, because I, it really seems like he needed this like he needed to do this to yeah, be pressing on exactly to, like pressing on perfect and it worked apparently he kept going so like whatever this was it was some kind of healing some kind of recovery or coping or whatever but like he needed it he needed he, it it seems like someone who's desperate for what he's doing and michael chaikin who was like going through all of the stuff for the archive he was telling me he goes you have no idea the amount of writing about these songs that doesn't exist. Like even back in the sixties, there's not even that much stuff because there's so much writing about this in particular. And I think what it is, is I think Dylan was trying to understand what made him himself. Mm. And I think that's what makes it so raw for us to uh, understand. And these live records, Dylan basically went back. And like, as you were saying, those seventies, he kind of thought he knew who he was. And then he found religion and he's like, okay, who is Bob Dylan? And he then wrote all these songs and somehow discovered who Dylan was again Mm. and reinvigorated himself. And I think that's why there's so much writing and there's so much. And he was the one who was behind filming all these concerts and all of these archives. He wanted this preserved. And I think that's why. But yeah. And and I'm just blown away by how he helped invent a template, not just for himself, but for other people where. Yeah. You know, you have this trilogy of Christian records, which is totally inexplicable in the moment. But then you flash forward uh, thirty some years, and he does a trilogy of like standards records. Yes, and and you're like, okay, the I, I kind of get it. Uh, work by him, That's as right. far as I'm yeah. concerned. But it's like, but it's like I I get it now because Dylan has these periods where, and you look at those standards records, and you understand. Well, you're you're so right. Well, the the thing about that is that it has something in common with the religious stuff in that it's for the man on the street. You know, he says like these songs are for everybody, and in the same way that he was so (laughs) fervent about religion here, it's like Jesus is for everybody, and so is there's a flaw in your flow. I think he's like something elemental in himself too. Like these are the songs that I come from. I think it's like outside of himself in a way too. It's like what other artist could record traditional music and it'd be a punk thing to do. That's right. You know, it's like, here you have a guy who's singing Frank Sinatra songs and, and he's or songs that Frank Sinatra sang, yeah. I should say. And literally he's, and he gets angry. There was, there's an interview. I think it's the AARP record. Classic. I take it you like <laughs> triplicate. You're, you're a fan of these records. Yes. Yes. Okay. Because there's something beautiful that he's doing with his voice. I think that he, again, to go back to how you see who he is based on the sound of his voice, he's trying to sound like Sinatra at this age, which is (laughs) insane. But he's got so angry that people are saying, he's like, nobody asked Sinatra these questions. Yeah. Why are you asking me these questions? Like, why am I singing these songs? You didn't ask him. So there's that element of confrontation that I think you're right. It's totally synonymous with what he's doing here. 
And that just makes me love it even more once you understand that. And it's just awesome. But yeah. Well, that might be a great place to uh, leave it, Benny. You've already been so generous with your time. Thank you for uh, joining this us was, here and jumping this all was unbelievable. Place with us. Oh, you it. were you were you were amazing, man. Thank you, you should so just much. be fourth fourth Mike. You're <laughs> you know him as much it. as any of us. This is really like this is like this is so much fun. I love because I really do love all of this stuff. But Clearly, on a level like you guys, it's great. All right, all right. thanks, Emmy. This was awesome. Thanks so much, Benny. Are you ready? Thanks again to Benny Safdie for uh, joining for uh, truly, uh, honestly, he could be fourth mic on this show. <laughs> he knows oh as much, if not more, than any of us do. Because, uh, I mean, if he didn't have to get to a heart. basketball game, if he didn't have to get to a basketball game, we could have, I think, just talked for hours. Could have gone all that night. Was, that was so fun. But uh, we um, did uh, we did technically uh, ostensibly assemble to talk about the Toronto 1980 material here, so we want to we want to get in a little bit of that because there is some crazy, just crazy shit uh, that we got to nerd out on for a moment. As far as pretty good stuff goes, <laughs> it's all good stuff. <laughs> we should just say because we're not talking about a proper bootleg here, so I just like want to give a you know let, let our listeners know that if you go to our patreon we're gonna have the uh april 20th 1980 show that's right which i think is widely considered like the greatest show of this run that'll uh, be out there but but otherwise uh, you know the, what we're talking about here on the trouble no more box set this is obviously very accessible so you don't need to get that from us but yeah pretty good stuff i mean we talked a lot about the pretty good stuff already with with uh, benny I won't go overboard. I think I brought up when he returns as being a favorite of mine. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, we talked about the aggressive, more sort of like angry songs, like the uh, Fire and Brimstone material, which there's a lot of. But for me, the the best pretty good stuff are the tender songs. I believe in you, Covenant Woman. What can I do for you? Saving Grace. Yeah. I think Saving Grace probably, is so good. It's so beautiful. What That's probably song. my second favorite after Winnie Returns. That's one that I just like completely forget. Like I honestly like half of Saved, I just like forget even exists. So when those when those songs pop up here like that, in the garden also In the Garden. Are you, are you ready? Like they they sound like revelations to me because I'm like oh yeah this song is also on there and it actually rocks I don't know why I don't listen to it.
my faith keeps me alive But I still be weeping For the saving grace that's over me The death of life Then come the resurrection Wherever I am welcome Is where I will be I put all my confidence in Him And my soul protection Is the saving grace That's over me You, you just need to have it on vinyl Because I really I felt the same way Like in until recently I just was like well pop it on and I've been listening to it and it's totally reinvigorated my respect for the record my uh, just remembering how many good songs Now you're back there. to actually think it's a three star record. Yeah, I'm after glad I getting shit for that for multiple years. I was yeah, anybody who uh, I'm so sad that I ever doubted myself. Um, I was gaslit. I was right the first time. It is three stars. Uh how could it not be? God uh, gets three stars to me. Yeah, I mean, do we, you know, we brought this up a little bit with Benny. We don't have to go too deep on this, but do we? how do we feel about Slow Train versus Saved? I know we all love both records. I have to say Saved is the one that I lean to now. That makes sense. I also think it's Saved, yeah. Wow. And I mean, I think, but that's no slight to Slow Train coming. I love that record, but I, I just love the immediacy of Saved. I love I the think, rawness of it. I think Slow Train coming is a better record uh, uh, from an objective standpoint, but I think I like Saved better at this point because there is just um, like the, the airless, super tight, professionalized quality of Slow Train is really fun to listen to. But I mean, the Saved is just, the Saved songs are so much fun from fucking solid rock to Saved the Song, which isn't even on this set, but that's another absolute banger. And then Pressing On is like one of my favorite Bob songs of all time. Uh, um, all time. And, um, and the version of that, to, to touch on the tenderness aspect as well, uh, on this Trouble No More box set, it's the last song from this Live in Toronto you know, kind of compilation they, they've got here. Bob's got this like tremor in his voice when he's singing, and it almost sounds like he's like on the verge of tears. He sounds so deeply invested in it. I like, I... I I, I don't believe in God either, but I, I feel like I do when I hear Bob, Bob singing like that. Can I do a quick shout out? I, I, I feel like you guys aren't into I'm Not There generally. No, uh, but okay. I think I know John what you're going to say. The oh, John Doe cover, Pressing On. Fantastic. I, I, really, I really like that cover. I, that, I think that's like maybe the best cover version on that soundtrack. soundtrack the soundtrack great. is great. It's fantastic. And I will say that the best, my favorite part of the movie anyway, or the part that worked for me the most is actually the part where it's uh, Christian Bale as the religious, uh, in the religious section. Of- yeah, when he's singing that song in like a little, like, just like little kind of like, yeah. uh, uh, like gathering hall or something, it's like very a tiny simple. little venue. It's a simple and like uh, kind of realist approach that is kind of not anywhere else in the movie, which all have kind of this weird, like overwrought goofy i could go Stu- on student film ass shit yeah but that <laughs> I, li- I, is... I like i'm not there personally so that's I, I, that's okay. I don't think you talk about this at some point but uh i, I can defend that movie okay uh, plenty of people do and i get in little scuffs about yeah we get we get the guff for uh for not liking it ourselves i mean yeah. it's no mass anonymous 
It's no Mastodon Anonymous. That's no. And, I, and, I, and I say, I'm not being sarcastic when I say that. I of love Mastodon Anonymous. I wrote, a, I wrote an essay back in the day for the AV Club defending Mastodon Anonymous. And you did? It to, I've never oh, read this. Oh, I'll, we'll dig it out. Maybe we should throw it on the Patreon. Absolutely. Uh, you know, because whatever. That we can we can steal from the jackals that own that place now. Yeah, it's a um, fucking it's a nightmare. Hell but I, I wrote a piece comparing it to I'm Not There and, and defending Mastin Anonymous, saying it's the superior Dylan movie, even though I like I'm Not There. Um, by the way, we should say I don't know if we need to say this. Our Watchtower watch. There must be some way out of here. There's no watch. No watchtower. No watchtower. Imagine, imagine him doing watchtower. Like that's the one song from the early shit. Just during this. You, I mean, that, that it would that's work. Pretty, yeah, it would. It would work, be great. Actually. Yeah, I'm sure. There, be there's awesome. definitely times when he did do. I mean, all over Trouble No More, which I actually it'd be fun just to maybe do something where we kind of go through more of that at some point. There's still so much on Trouble so, No More. It's really dense. And there well, is I, a lot like on eight? it that's these versions of songs that in the context of the Christian stuff have this new life. That's yeah, one of them like, that would totally work. By the end of the gospel era, he was doing, like, uh, th- there's a London show from 81. Yeah, we did a couple no episodes more. on that on the, yeah. on the original show uh, a few years ago. I don't think Watchtower's on that, but it does have some some really hot shit. Um The Rolling Stone on that is great and I don't believe you is also fire. I um, mean, you know, we should talk briefly about the band. Oh yeah. Uh, that that he has here uh because it's like I think one of his greatest bands of all time. Incredible mm-hmm. band. It, and it's like I don't know. I mean, I think among Dylan heads they know it's a great band, but uh, in the wider consciousness, it's not pearls before swine. They, they yeah, just don't. It, it's not it. the same level as like the band or the Hawks or you know even some of his never-ending tour bands. But you got like Jim Keltner on drums, just Titanic rhythms on this record. Uh, Spooner Oldham on like electric piano. Uh, Spooner Oldham, if you don't know, great soul sideman played on. Uh, you know, when a man loves loves a woman, he plays the organ part on that song. He plays on like Aretha Franklin records. He, he plays with wrote, Neil, right? Uh, yeah, he played with Neil. He's played with Drive By Truckers. He wrote "Cry Like a Baby" for the Box Tops. Alex Chilton, um, he's amazing. Tim Drummond, bass player, longtime Neil Young sideman, plays on Harvest, Harvest Moon, Time Fades Away, bunch of JJ Kale records. You have Clyde King, one mm-hmm. of the backing singers, one of his secret wives. You had two kids with Clyde King. I don't yep. know if you know that story. Wait, wait, Clyde King or Carolyn Dennis? Well, the, the, her too. Both he, of them? He, yeah, he had like multiple backing singer relationships. Guy's got all kind of wives. He's got well, wives. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's got a days. dang harem. He still does. I think that. Well, I mean, he wrote that chapter in uh, the book about where he's just like. By the way, uh, it's no nobody's business how many wives you have. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, (laughs) it's just like nobody asks. He's just like. "Um, Anyway, also, if someone were to have many wives for some reason, that would be wouldn't be a a problem. In fact, it's good if if you can get them. Husbands too, as many husbands as you want. So in the Oh Mercy category, oh mercy, oh mercy, oh mercy, I'm going to stretch here a little bit. This isn't really a complaint about the show itself. I guess it's just about how it's edited on the box set because it's a compilation of all the Toronto shows. It was a four-show run, by the way, at the beginning of the third leg. There are none of the raps that Dylan does on stage oh, yeah. in yeah. the box set, which makes sense 
because for the average person and maybe even for you guys, you don't want to hear Dylan sermonizing. I do. Uh, on these shows, but like, I miss that stuff. And you'll hear this if you go on our Patreon and download. I mean, if you're listening to this, you're already on our Patreon. Uh, if you check out the Toronto April 20th show, um, I made a reference to this in our conversation with Benny that there's this long rant that Dylan goes into in Tempe about Russia attacking Afghan- uh, the, the Middle East. Interminable. It, it, it goes on forever. In the April 20th show, he references that rant. And he points out that <laughs> Russia did invade Afghanistan the following month. Even more boring to hear him talk about the story he told. Before. I love it. Agree, agree to disagree. I'm, no, I mean it's so weird. It's I'm so weird. Boring I'm in quotes. By it. I mean, it's obviously I'm fascinated by it, but it's like it's actually like if you were just at the show, I think it would to a lot of people they're probably just like starting to feel the sweat cool and just like look with glazed eyes that like what the fuck is he talking these about? couple years when he just decided to be like i read the newspaper and i'm gonna like offer my opinion on all this kind of shit because he kept doing this into like the mid 80s there's that interview from 84 i think from rolling stone where he's talking about like abortion and israel and stuff like that it's just i love that fucking peek into his brain See, he completely shuts that off for the last like 30 40 years at this point i know i would love to hear bob just like monologue in the middle of a show like, yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah, I would love to hear that and so I miss that on the box set but again if you listen to the bootlegs you can hear that and that is an it. interesting wrinkle of the shows from this period and I guess we can group that group that under Bob Talk too in our categories well, I didn't really a lot do of Bob my, my pretty good stuff pick but I uh I just wanted to say, uh, for my, I, well, I mean, you gotta say, I believe in you at any time that happens, just because it's the vehicle for the great harmonica solo uh, of his. No, you're thinking, I. What can I do for you? Not I what can I do? For, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> they all, they have, I, all the can titles I, sound the same. I'm thinking about what I, what I can do. What could I do for? Uh, yeah, what's it's. What can, what I, do can I do for you? What can I do for you? That is the one with the the harmonica solo where like every version of it, even on the record, every live version I've ever seen, and this one being no exception, is like, I mean, it, I really think it's the it's best. Good as it says, oh, yeah. It's the best. It's the best framed. Like the, It's just the best moment of straight harmonica that he does. Um, and uh, let's see. Also, just Keltner. I mean, on 
Solid Rock. Solid Rock, oh my god. Solid Rock was born to be played live. I think that's really the thing about the saved record uh, compared to something like Slow Train, which, like, Slow Train sounds so good, the record. Like, the, the, whether you listen to it on an MP3 or CD or a, a you know, clean copy on, on Wax, it sounds great. And those songs, like, were well-produced and mastered correctly, and, like, it's a really tight package. Saved is not that, but the songs, I think, are so strong and really, in large part, stronger than the, like, actual bones of the songs on Slow Train that when you get to hear them live... They just come alive in a way that, uh, you know, other songs from either Shot of Love or Slow Train, just to, you know, compare them against the other Christian records, um, they, they just breathe and, and feel three-dimensional and so exciting and revelatory. Yeah, I think Save, to me, feels like a more pure gospel record musically. Like, if you listen to, to Slow Train, it feels like an R&B type record and that's like a great thing about it like i i love the production of slow train i think ian you were saying i don't know if you said this on mic or before we recorded that it sounds like a steely dan record right yeah and i i totally agree especially like uh, uh gotta serve somebody like studio version of that but like the like saved it reminds me of like if you listen to like staple singers records from the 60s mm-hmm. it has that kind of vibe to it yeah where you have like singers and you have like pop staples playing guitar and like maybe like a really bare bones rhythm going with it and it feels alive in the room and i really respond to that and i mean it's interesting because save wasn't even out when he was playing these shows it came out later in the year no so these were like so not only was it all christian shit it's christian shit you don't even know know, (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) exactly so bob was definitely uh challenging his audience i was gonna make this point actually uh earlier with benny but we jumped all over the place so i didn't get a chance to deliver it you know these shows like these are the closest thing i think i have heard of all of the shit that we've been listening to that matches what he's doing right now with Rough and Rowdy, where, like, it really is about these specific songs from this particular mood and moment in his life, and that's what the show is about. You can take it or you can leave it. And obviously with Rough and Rowdy, you know, he's got a couple catalog hits uh, integrated at this point. But, like, I don't. there isn't another instance uh, that I can think of where he really invests himself just in that material from that time and presents it night in and night out to the audience, whether they want to hear it or not. True. Yeah, I, I, I totally see that. I think one important difference between this and Rough and Rowdy is that the Rough and Rowdy Ways material, and we heard this just on the Japanese tour that we were just talking about, he was changing arrangements pretty dramatically. And I, 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 I'll, I'll roll into the Budokan moment category. <laughs> there's a Budokan moment in 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 these shows yeah not really they're they're pretty straightforward versions unless you guys are gonna make a case i i wouldn't say there's a Budokan moment oh here's the Budokan moment uh songs that don't exist in any other like recorded version that's true Uh, like uh, that's gotta be ain't gonna go to hell for anybody and one that i have actually really started digging more listening to this that has always kind of gone in one ear and out another cover Cover down down. pray through which is just this plodding dumbass like poke along rock song but i really really dig it Cover down. Cover down. Cover down. 
No, I dig that. And I think that's kind of looking ahead to Shot of Love. That kind of sounds like a Shot of Love song. It sounds like Trouble, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wanted (laughs) wanted to talk a a little bit more about your point about like the sort of dichotomy between uh, uh, Slow Train and Saved. And also want to fold in the uh, the discussion of uh, what's it of shot of love, and it's because I think it says something kind of interesting about like what this material can handle, like and the aesthetic approach, and like people were able to digest it when it was kind of glossed up and sexy and sounded like the moment uh, with slow train, and I think you could really make the case that shot of love is like not is completely overlooked in for the same reason saved is in that it's like it's actually really one of the most successful both of them at like doing this thing that's antithetical to that that dylan's always chasing he always wants it to be like just fresh out the box like just in the studio not unplanned live real done and like those records really achieve that and it's such a shame that like they ne- they don't get recognized for that cuz i think they actually more than any others kind of like capture this you can feel the energy in the room in both of those as good as slow train is like those records have that thing he's always wanting they're much get. more like bob dylan they're they're absolutely more like the kind of record that bob wants to make but they're not versus something like slow train they're not uh made to be to, to fit into any sort of genre convention or or like style or fad because they really kind of sound just like you someone hit record and people are playing and there's not like there's no aesthetic that, yeah that's how they were made the production whereas like yeah i just i wonder if he was kind of set up for failure by the success of the production on slow train in a way it's like i think that's why like, he made a deliberate choice to like yeah. make those records sound the way that they did and like there's that interview with chuck plotkin the producer for um uh for uh shot of love from that ridiculous you know both sides of the rainbow documentary or whatever that we watched last year um where plotkin is just like yeah i bob came in and, like didn't even want to make a record he was just like hanging out in the studio and was up to me to like be able to hit record at the right time and make sure that we were getting this to tape and when he sat down to start playing at the piano and i realized that there wasn't even a mic in front of him i had to run over there and stick it in his face so i could capture it and it turned out to be every grain of sand i was gonna bring up that same interview yeah like because that's such an amazing story that like <laughs> And again, this is like why I want a biopic of this era because I think Bob Dylan at, in this time is so interesting. Like he just like walks in to the studio, and sits Mr. behind Mr. a Mr. piano, <laughs> and there's like an expectation that someone's just going to stick a microphone in his face and preserve what he's doing, and yeah. and he ends up you know playing this beautiful, timeless song. I mean, uh, Evan, I think you make a great point there I, about. Uh, Saved and Shot of Love. I, I I totally agree. I do think Shot of Love, even like like as underrated as that album is, is like still better regarded than Saved. Yeah, like it's Saved true. is yeah, Saved definitely. is an album. Like even among like Dylan fans, they'll be like, oh, that record sucks. That's like a like one of his three or five worst albums. And I feel like I always have to stand up for Saved because it's like if you honestly just put that record on, I think it has such a vitality to it yeah i've been saying this you can't lately. deny it i, I like really bit found myself saying it again and again i went on a podcast the other day 
um, with Brendan from Tales from the Mall, and we were just having a phone call. That's how his pod is. And we, what's crazy is we were talking about like Van's sort of spiritual spirituality and and Dylan's, and he also brought up Diary of a Country Priest when I brought up Saved. And we were talking about it in the same way we were talking about it with Benny. But I, I was noting that when he put Saved on as the record, like the album here, it, it's like that's when it works. Like you, it's just throwing it on like digitally doesn't really like you got to give it meet it halfway like because it's really a warm record that deserves like kind of more intimacy or something to work well well hold on hold on a sec i will say that if you listen to it on cassette too it also sounds really i believe you (laughs) i really believe you i think it doesn't translate digitally like for some reason uh, I was playing both of these right before we uh, got ready to go. Um, you know, yeah, exactly. I, I, and the thing about the cassette of Saved is that it, it was in pristine shape. I'm sure it was. Yeah. Completely unplayed by anyone for 40 years. No one played it. Uh, you know, you didn't have to like replace the pressure pad in there or anything. It was like, okay, this got opened once. or you know, It got opened and played once, and that was it. Um, are we ready to talk about bootleg titles here? Bootleg. Oh, there's got to be some good. I fucking I I completely spaced it on this, and I okay. You if you guys got some, please. I gotta I gotta come up with some on the fly here. I have I have two. Okay, because this is always like my favorite part. I love coming up with bootleg titles, and of course, this has already many pre-existing bootleg titles. But I came up with number one, Canadian Christ. Okay. <laughs> that's good. that's my first one, and my second one was heading up north to heaven. Heading up north to heaven is pretty good. Uh, so uh, I like Canadian Christ. That's <laughs> that's perfect. When uh, when he returns to Toronto, what can I do for you a, in Toronto? <laughs> yeah, you can tell that we didn't think of any in advance. I like when he returns to Toronto. When yeah, that's a good one. Uh, or slow train to Toronto is like a fucking stupid one. Actually, I just thought of one trying to get to the Canadian border before they close the door. That yeah, be, except that's. Uh, the, I know it's a later reference, but you know. We can, well, knocking we can on the Canadian border. Yeah. <laughs> There's got to be something we can do with man game named all the animals, right? Or the North Country, you know, like oh, more yeah. specifically. Um, God from the North Country? Yeah, or or, or, or like sermon from from the North Country. Uh, that, got to yeah, serve somebody poutine. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I'm recycling that from when I said got to serve somebody sushi with the Ray episode. Yeah. Are you ready, Canada? <laughs> It's good. <laughs> Ain't going to go to hell for Canadians. That's good. See, they get dumber and dumber, which yeah, means these they are get getting better and act- better. These aren't even funny anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that, which is, when you know you're on the right track, because if you're not laughing, that means they're actually good titles. Mm. Um, early Roman King. Early Roman King. Jim Keltner. Ooh. The Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, I changed mine. It's I, actually Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jesus goes without saying. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, the king. Jim, he, Jim on the he's king. The, he, he's Jim. the king. He's the king of early Roman kings, uh, so to speak. Um, sure. Yeah. Keltner, I think, is the obvious one. Um, 
I'm gonna throw one. I'm gonna throw a, a mention out to Spooner Oldham. I think his uh, key, his his keys like throughout the record are like are really great. I yeah. love that there's two keyboard players. You know, because we're not in the Neverending Tour era. That's right. Where we frequently get zero keyboard players, or if there's a keyboard player, it's Bob. So I always gravitate to the keys guys when we gravitate outside of uh, Neverending Tour. I will shout out uh, Fred Tackett also on the guitar. I think that this is a really great guitar performance for him. And interestingly, I think he's he's the only guitarist besides Bob himself, which again is an interesting kind of um, uh, change from what Bob is going to do for 30 years, you know, after the, the Neverending Tour starts, where it's almost always two guitarists plus Bob, and Bob comes in and out on the guitar himself when he feels like it. But in here, in this case, it's it's just Tackett. He's the lead guitarist, uh, so he's got to kind of do everything um, up there, and get <laughs> he gets what he gets from Bob uh, as his rhythm guitarist. But what and was he's, the, Sorry, not to interrupt, but just, we have to mention the Queens of Rhythm. The uh, The backing vocalists? Yeah, is that their name? Uh, I think so. The if it isn't rhythm, we'll, if it isn't, we'll cut it out, and no one will hear you call them. That. Well, it's the back. It's the backing singers: Clyde uh, King, Gwen Evans, Mary Elizabeth Bridges, uh, Regina McCrary, and this was a new one to me. I love this Mona Lisa Young. Great, ooh. great name, Mona Lisa Young. Mona Lisa Young. I mean, but I just uh, you know we're talking all about the uh, the other members. They, but this is so defined by that uh, that sound. It's like. People wonder about like why the hell did Dylan spend all that time doing like stuff with backup singers, and the answer is because like when it worked, it was like it, it was like so obvious, like absolutely, it's it so good. I just like wanted to echo the Fred Taggett shout out. He is another all star in the band. He was in Little Feet, who had recently fallen apart because Lil George died in 1979. So Little Feet, great LA band of the 1970s. So yeah, again, another like ringer in this band. Uh, he's never had a bad meant, band no but like the thing about this band it's loaded with ringers and it doesn't seem like it like they're so sure. good but they gel I think you know we're all lovers of like the 84 tour even though some of our Patreons out there disagree with us but like that does seem like a band that is like a bunch of hired guns coming together for like a right. short tour yeah, and I love that tour a little more like a real group yeah and they did a bunch of shows together so they had a lot of time to gel, but uh, yeah, it's it, it sounds so good. The spirit moves them, and at, I also also want to talk about the the crowd in a way of not for early Roman King, uh, but well, early Roman King to all the people and who stuck with it and were open minded in the crowd. You know, like I feel like when you watch videos of these, it's so great to see that there were people who were like really just taking what is given to them and seeing that it's a great performance and not like shutting off because it's not what they expected. And I, I should say too, that I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but like when I was going to Dylan shows a lot in the early two thousands, when I would push my way up to the, like as close as I get to the stage, that's where I met a lot of the people who love the Christian records. The which, guys on the CD website with you and Benny. In well, the, front. the the it, like, and it made sense to me because they were like devout about Jesus and also about Bob Dylan. Yeah. So I think I think there is an a, a segment of his audience who always loved this stuff and maybe even came into Dylan because of right. this turn in his career. There's which is, people holding um signs that are like 
uh, religious slogans and stuff. Yeah. In, in the video, in the front. It's pro- you probably met some of them years later. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Uh, but again, it's another fascinating wrinkle in this guy's audience. Uh, do we want to bother doing stars? Like, do we have to say stars here? Like, is it self-evident? Three stars. Well, yeah. Three. Okay. <laughs> it's three. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty yes. much just said I'm only giving everything three stars from here on out. You can't say that. Well, yeah. <laughs> you well, can do we it, gotta... but you can't say it. <laughs> we got to do another, like, what was it, the Waikiki Shell type show here? I would give that yeah. three stars at this point. Yeah, yeah right. It's, it's, it's fun. We... It's Bob Dylan. It sucks. It's great. No, yeah. it's not. Yeah, well... that, come on. Ethan, I got it. No, I mean, actually, you're right. Uh, everything's good. I love everything. <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> what is, uh, what is uh, life, really? <laughs> well, we're certainly not going to give something uh, as uh, as holy and spiritual and uplifting and extraordinary as Bob Dylan in Toronto in 1980. Anything less than All the Stars in the Sky, which in this is, universe is three. <laughs> One, two, three. Even Trinity. though there's four Gospels, there's four Gospels, but there's three stars in our system. So, yes. you know. The way it goes. Father, Son, and Bob Dylan. That's right. Yeah, the three stars. Thanks again to Benny Safty. Uh, until next time, don't you dare miss it. A minute, try to stop me. Shake me up in my mind. Say, prove to me that he's Lord. Show me a sign. What kind of sign they need when it all comes from within? When one lost has been found. What's to come in?